0: Good morning FCC, how are we doing today? Good. We're good, awesome. I'm well, excited to be with you again today. It's been a fun month of being here and being your pastor. Uh, this past week, uh, actually yesterday, I got to go with my family to uh, Hershey Park with the uh, youth group, and uh, we gotta go get rained on. It was awesome, right? Any, any, any youth group? Yeah, yeah, I figured there was a few crazy, uh, people are still wet and soggy uh, from that. That was, that was special, you know, one thing I didn't run into today, which is understandable, was you know I met some people that were, um, you were know, asking me, you know, last week with my wife. They they were like, "Is she going to be on stage with you?" And the look of disappointment on some people's faces when I was like, "No, not today," and they were just like, "Ah," then they just went back home. But that's okay. I understand. It was, it was a special week last week. If you missed it online, uh, go check it out. Um, it was a, my favorite interview of all time, interviewing my wife. We we got a chance to talk about choosing contentment and not greed. And uh, through this whole series, we've been talking about choosing this, not that. It's about you know, living your best life, choosing to make the best choices for your life, maybe choices that God would have you make, rather than the choices a lot of times we tend to make. So we talked about you know, choosing encouragement instead of gossip, um, you know, choosing instead of living a life of uh, being kind of enslaved, uh, rather choose freedom. Um, we talked a little bit about choosing to have purpose and not pointless. Um, and, and so today we're going to continue in this series. And, but, but to do it right and to, to have a little fun to do so, I, I want us to think today, I was like, hey, four weeks in, what should I do? And I was like, let's, let's cause an argument. Like, that would be fun. Like, let's just go ahead, let's go ahead and argue well. Uh, so let's just start an argument. Um, I thought that would be a fun way to get started. And I want you to be thinking about quarrels, fights, arguments. See, last week I really tried to uplift my wife so that way I could really tear down today. Uh, so we, I was thinking, like, in arguments, I'm thinking about, um, you know, arguments. Arguments that maybe I had and thought I won, but guys, we know, even if you win, you lose. So, (laughs) uh, but think about quarrels, fights, arguments. What causes fights and quarrels and arguments? Think think about the social media posts that you just see people going back at it. Think about in your own life, maybe in your own family, and where arguments had taken place. So, I want us to be thinking about that. So to help us get going and to create a little bit of a stir, I thought about an argument me and my wife had, uh, this was several years ago, um, but it was late one evening, um, I, it, it was just something that popped up on my social media feed, and uh, it was one of those things that hit me, and I was just like, oh, this is the dumbest thing. Like, what are people seeing? Like, this doesn't even make sense to me, in which I showed her, and she saw it from a different perspective. So check this out. This was the first one here. Uh, this was uh, me and my wife, uh, well, let me see if most things working here. Yep, we got it that. Do you remember this? Anybody? Okay. All right. So, so uh, t- for once and for all, we'll see if I can win the argument. All right. So who's my white and gold people? See white and gold. Blue and black, anybody that loves Jesus? Yeah, that was right there. That's right. Felt good. Didn't it feel like you just raised your hand to the Lord right then? It just felt so good. It just feels good being right. does it feel good being right? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. That's right. All right. Well, maybe maybe not that one. Maybe not that one. There's, there's a newer one. So let's, let's go with the newer one. Uh, you guys remember seeing this one? Okay. So, so who's, who's the teal and gray? Teal and gray? I, I, and who is correct when they say pink and white? Pink and white, doesn't it feel good? Doesn't it just feel different? It's just like raise your hand to the Lord. It's like, yes and amen. It just feels good. Like, I know we were hand raised in church. We are hand raising church. I'm, I'm in, I'm for it. So, so I, I win. So anyways, my wife's right here. I, I, I win, just saying I win. So this was so funny, like immediately. Like, did you hear some of the comments like around there? It's like, I don't even see, it. I don't get it. Like, are you not even looking? Are you not even trying right now? Like, like, are, are you, like, what are you looking at? Like, are you not looking at the screen? Look at the screen. What are you looking at him for? Look at the screen. Like, don't you see that? Like, there's elbowing going on between spouses that were like, what's, what's wrong with you? I, 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 this, is what I, this is what I love about it. It's, it's what I love about this is like, so, so you're looking at the screen and you're going, okay, everybody right now is looking from the same, similar perspective. Like, all of us are looking at the same facts. Like, I'm looking at it too. It's like, listen, we're all seeing the same thing. And yet, there's people in the room that are willing to argue that they see something else. How often in life are we all looking at the same facts, the same picture, and we're looking at the same thing, and yet willing to fight over it? Go, why don't you see what I see? Are you even trying? All right, so I don't get fired. Don't react on this one, including dude that yelled out the wrong answer in the earlier one. Um, <laughs> like, like, like don't, don't get me fired on this next one. But, but I, I, listen, I mean, think about this. Here, here's the next one. Same perspective. Everybody's looking. Everybody's looking from the same seat. And so they're seeing the same image, right? And yet, there's people going, are you even looking? Have you even tried? Like, what are you looking at? Like, I, how do you not see what I see? Why don't you see it from my perspective? And I could show up a picture of somebody wearing a mask. I could show up a picture of a vaccine. I could show a picture of Roe versus Wade. I could show pictures. I could show picture after picture after picture after picture of different things in our culture, in our environment that causes quarrels and fights among us. It's that easy in which we can argue and fight. And and listen, it's, it's not that we shouldn't have opinions or that we shouldn't have some passions, but... But what, if it, what happens when these passions start to pour over where it causes division? What happens when we start making a thing the main thing? And that can happen inside of these walls, inside of this church, inside of your families, as well as our community. Now, just for fun, I wanted to show one more because I think it's something that hits really close to home for many of you here. <laughs> Steelers? Listen, listen, Jesus still loves you. There is, there, is, there is hope for you here. He can redeem you. You can be turned. You can turn your back from your wicked ways and walk in Jesus today. Today, we are here for you. Any, any Ravens fans out there today? It just feels good to be right sometimes. It just, feels good. It just it feels good to be right. So, all kidding aside, the question I want us to grab today, the question I want us to wrestle with is this. What do you do when your passions become a problem? What what do you do when you have areas in life that you are fixated on and focused on that's actually causing divisions and problems? What do you do when you make something that's a thing the main thing and it's causing issues? Like, what do you do do when your passions become a problem? And look, I'll I'll be honest, I'm one of those that uh, my wife would joke about, like, like if you've ever played me in ping pong, you'd be like, bro, you need to calm down. Like, like so I'm a passionate dude, right? So like this sneaks up on you and even the dumbest things in life. I'm just like, take it. You know, it's like, uh, right? It's like, whoa, bro, chill. Like, like this is this is a part of us, like passionate people. We have passion, we care. There's things that we get like wrapped up in. There's things that like become like, it's so obvious. Like, can't you see what I see? Like we were like, it's black and blue, Steph. Don't you see it? Like, like you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just the way in which we... Can be, but we have to be careful. And I want us to challenge in today, I want us to challenge us in this way. For this, choose not this, not that. I want us to choose unity, not division. And I want us to choose unity, not division. And, and listen, there's gonna be, this is not saying choose uniformity. That's not saying that you need to choose to have the same opinion as everyone else. It's not saying that you're gonna agree on every single thing, but saying that there's gonna be a position we need to take, a perspective we need to have, I think God is calling us to do that's going to change whether or not things like these, all those things I mentioned, is going to tear apart the church, us, tear apart your families, and tear apart the community even. Is there a way in which we cannot let our passions become a problem? Still be passionate but have a different way of going about it. So to do that, what I want to do is I wanted to go uh, to scripture a little bit. And I wanted to see, because uh, I want you to go back in time to this season. It's going to be hard to imagine it, but I want you to imagine this, uh, saying that you may know some church folks. You might be able to relate. So uh, 40 to 50 years after Jesus had died on the cross, rose again, appeared uh, to uh, thousands of people to show that he had defeated death. Um, he uh, gave the great commission, the great great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. He does that. He leaves, parts to be in heaven now as he reigns and rules, okay? And so 40, 50 years after that, um, church folk was already fighting. Like, I know it's like, whoa, really? Like, yeah, like, they still fighting. Like, this, it didn't take long. Like, they were like, didn't they, like, encounter and see Jesus? Yes, they did, and they still fight. Like, this is a thing that we all struggle with. It is fighting and quarreling. And so uh, Jesus' half-brother named James, uh, he had walked with Jesus, knew Jesus, had seen Jesus through it all had heard and been a part of many things in witnessing what Jesus taught on these things. And he wrote a letter to a bunch of church folk like us that had quarrels and fights among them. And this is what he said in James chapter four, verses one through two, it starts out like this. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire you do not don't have, so you murder. And when he's saying murder here, he's, he's talking about the murder that Jesus described, which is if you have hate in your heart towards one another. So he's saying, like, you guys are quarreling and fighting, you actually get to the point where you have hate towards one another. Even though these are Christians, talking to Christians here, these are people that are with one another, that both are claiming, all claim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That these are the guys that are having these passions at war within them. He continues. He says, You covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. He continues. He says, you adulterous people. And when he means adulterous people, what he's saying is like in one hand, you're saying I am committed and married to God. Like he is my Lord, my King, my Savior. I'm following him. That's in one way. And then in the, out of the same breath on the other you're letting these passions and quarrels and fights come out of your mouth, attacking and hating towards one another. He's saying that's, that's like adultery. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And that phrase there is actually saying hostility with God. Like you're causing hostility between you and God by the way that you are treating one another. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Okay, an enemy of God. Now, I'm going to go on a huge limb here, um, but I've already made a lot of people argue. Um, but in this idea of choosing unity and not division, I'm going to say at the ending of that phrase there in James, that no one here wants to be an enemy of God, okay? I think that, like, can we start there? Like, it's like, okay, so maybe you're even, like, new, like, I don't even know if God exists, but, like, even you, like, if he does, don't want to be an enemy. Like, that's an area I don't want to be. So I think we can all at least agree, like, we don't want to walk away today being an enemy of God. Like, we don't want that. And I think James is calling us to say, listen, I want you to choose unity and not division. I want you to choose that way, not the enemy way. Like, I don't want, like, causing division among believers, like, this whole fighting over passions and things, causing division and chasing after these passions, God's going, listen, that's, that's a pathway of what an enemy would do, not of one of our people. We don't want that of them. So he wants us to choose unity, not division. All right, so, so what are we going to do with this? Like, how, do we, how do we even go from here? Like, so he's asking us, so James asks us to choose unity, not division. Maybe you're here today, and you're going, okay, so what's the big deal? Right? like what's the big deal with all the, I mean, it's, it's just me disagreeing. It's just fights among us. It's just me uh, leaving the church because they don't play the music I like, or it's just, just me saying, hey, I don't like this new guy they picked right? Like, like it's, it's like, what are these things that are driving you to make these decisions? And like, is it a big deal? Like, is it a big deal that we know, really know one another and, and love one another? Like in this room, like us, like up and down the aisles. I'm not talking about philosophically, like I'm talking about us in the room, like us. Like, does it actually matter? And so James knew of this special season and a special time in which Jesus really addressed the ones he loved, his followers, and we call it the Last Supper. All right, so Jesus spent these three years journeying and walking with his, these buddies, these close friends, these students who followed and studied after God that try to follow after Jesus and learn from Jesus. And he had this special night. He knew it was, the time was coming when he was gonna be betrayed and, and murdered. And so he was having this special night where they all came together. And in the book of John, we actually see it last from John 13 through 17. There's all these chapters written just on what took place that special night. And I want to take you to a specific spot within that night. A a night where Jesus actually pulled back the curtain a little bit and went, okay, I want you to see my heart. So if you're here today and you're like, I want to know Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, like this is, you get to a revealing of who Jesus is and what he's all about. Like listening into the intimacy of, of his prayers with the Father. And it was this beautiful triune moment where Jesus was praying to the Father and, and there was like this, how does this work? How is there one? And like that, that whole thing, like how does this all work? And he showed us a display of this in John 17, verse 20. John 17, verse 20. This is the way it's recorded. Jesus praying to God the Father, and this is how he prays. He doesn't pray just for disciples. He prays for us. He prays for Fort Christian church. So listen for it here. He says this, I am praying not only for these disciples, like not only my buddies who are with me, like this, remember, they're at this last supper, upper room, sitting down, eating dinner. He's saying, I'm I'm not just praying for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and me. Like like Jesus was in that moment praying with the Father, revealing his heart, his desires, his deepest levels of desires. And he was going, I am thinking about you and I in this room. Like anyone who would ever go on to believe the messages from the disciples who got passed on for the last 2,000 years that arrived to you and you accepted the message of Jesus being the way, truth, and life. Anyone that claims Jesus as Lord, I'm praying for them as well. What does he pray for? What does he want from us? What is he praying about? What does he care about? Like, show us your heart, Jesus. What is it? He says this, I pray that they will all be one. Okay? And you're thinking, okay, so one, like, what do you mean? Like, how one? Like, how tight should we be? Like, how much should we really know one another? How how much should we love and serve one another? Like, and he describes it, just as you and I are one. Now, I don't know what's more one than God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like that's about as one as one as one. Like that is one. I want them to be that close. I want them to be in that much of a love and unity with one another. I want them to be that close. Like that's the ambition of Jesus's prayer. He says, this, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us. So us with God and with one another. This love relationship with God and with one another. So that, big time phrase, so that and therefore, you'll hear me talk about those a lot. This is the why, why? So that the world will believe you sent me. Okay, so what Jesus just threw down here, just in the depths of his heart, he was like, okay, the world needs to know about me and believe in me. How? When they become one, like I am with you, Father, and you are with me, and they are with one another, and that we all together in this dance, are perfectly one. Unity. Of all the things Jesus could pray for, all the things he could reveal to us, he's saying, listen, I want them to be one. I want them to be one. I want unity. So for me and you, I mean, if Paul talks about it in Romans 12, he was like, listen, as far as pos- it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with Everyone. Right, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. He goes on to say, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Unity, it's just all over scripture when you start looking for it. It's the do- desire of God's heart. So, so what, what is it, how does this begin? Like, what do we do? So div- division all around us, all among us. It's all over the place. How how do we even start this process of being one? What What do we need to do? Where does it begin? I believe that what we're gonna see here is that when what do you do when your passions become a problem? The answer is unity begins with humility. That unity begins with humility. It's a humble look of who you are, who we are together, and who God is. It's a proper understanding of your placement James continued in his, as he was talking about fights and quarrels, he continued into James 4, 6 through 7. This is the way he phrased it. He said, therefore, remember that phrase, therefore? So you got all these fights and quarrels, you don't want to be an enemy of God. You remember that? Don't want to be enemy of God. You got all these fights and quarrels among you. you. Got these passions that are overtaking you. What do we do? It says, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is actually a looking back to that night, that special night of Last Supper. I was actually looking back at that time. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Okay, submit is to take a lowly position. It's saying, I'm gonna lay down my passions and make his passions greater. I'm gonna lower myself beneath the authority and the power of God. And I'm gonna look from that perspective upwards to what he desires most. Humble yourselves, goes on verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will, exalt you. So when passions are a problem, we change our posture. But we need to change how we treat and act in a position of humility. All right, you might be thinking, what, what is this humility? What does it really mean to be humble? What is this idea of being humble? And what's this idea of humility? And actually, one of my uh, former pastors that I, I listened and was uh, taught under, um, was Pastor Fitz, is what we call him. We called him Pastor Fitz. And this is the way he described humility. It's just such a clean way. When looking at the really understanding of this word in scripture, he's saying, humility means that nothing and no one is beneath me. Okay, I'm gonna say that again. Humility means that nothing and no one is beneath me. Okay, so not a thing. So that means that there is no task, there is no ask, there is no thing that you might be asked or need to do that you say, Nope, too good for that. Nothing. There is nothing that is too good for me to do. Nothing is beneath me. That also includes people. All right. So, even that person, whichever one God just threw in your mind, that one. All right. Ooh, see, that was Holy Spirit guilt. Like, so, like, but, but it's people, like, there's no one beneath you. There's no one that you're not willing to serve or walk with or talk with. There's no one that is beneath you. So no one and no thing beneath us. That's the humility we're talking about. All right, so to challenge you in that way, I want you to think about it this way. What, what well, let's start with who. So who is the most humble person you'd ever met? Okay, be thinking in your head. Like, okay, so I'm thinking in my head. Like, who, who is it that was the most humble person I'd ever met? Like somebody that just exemplified humility. Like they just took this nothing is no, nothing and no one is beneath me. They just had that frame of mind. That's just the way they saw the world. Okay, you got that in mind? Okay, now may, maybe it's a time at which you saw the most humble experience. Like you just saw someone who just represented humility in the way they acted and behaved. But like you just, just in the moment, maybe they had that. Okay, so what you just did is exactly what was happening with James and Paul who both spoke to this idea of God uh, opposing probably giving grace to the humble. They were both thinking back to a time they heard this, a time in which they saw humility expressed. And they were both thinking of a time in which they saw the most humble person they'd ever met do the most humble expression they'd ever seen. And that is what we're picking up with back in John. Remember, I talked about John, this last supper lasted from John 13 through John 17. I read a little bit of John 17 with you, and I'm gonna take you back to John 13. This was the most humble moment they had ever witnessed, by the most humble person they'd ever seen. And this is in John 13, 3. It says this Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Okay. Everybody say all things. Alright, things. All you're still awake, we're good. So, like all things. Okay, so all things into his hands. So um, what does that include? Ah, we good. All right, so like that's everything. So that's like, so he has power and control over everything. There's nothing outside of his grasp. So he's in this moment. It's important to know, like the God of the universe, the one who all things, Colossians says, all things were made by him, through him, and for him. That guy, he's in the room. And this is Jesus. Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands. And that he had come from God and was going back to God. Like the end time, it's coming. Like he's getting ready to go back to heaven. He's getting ready to be brutally murdered on a cross and then defeat death and then raise to go back to heaven. He knows the time is short, the time is at hand, and he has all authority. So what would the God of all authority do in the midst of his folks? What would he choose to do? They were eating dinner, and this is what he chose to do. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, just like a robe, like coat thing he had on, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, if you're new to Christianity, sounds kind of weird. I get it. Like, so here's the thing. You go to my house, and we have some nice grub, and then you get finished, and you take off your coat, and then you get down on your knees, and you say, take your shoes off, I'm about to wipe your your feet off, I'd be like, no, you're not, actually, like, it's a little, it's a little weird, right? So, like, this is a weird moment, so if you're new to this, like, this is a weird moment, but you need to understand, like, take yourself back to this season, okay, so uh, people, these guys were walking around all day, right, Um, and they walked on dirt roads, so that's dirty. Uh, Now, add the component that they're walking behind, behind camels and donkeys, I meant that, okay, so, so what took place there, there wasn't a cleanup crew going around, this isn't like Hershey Park, they're gonna clean stuff up behind people, like, no, no, it was left. So they were walking in that all day as they're walking from town to town, place to place. Okay, so, um, and they're wearing sandals, not shoes, but like you show up in my house with that all over your feet, I've been like, you can take them shoes off and leave them outside, but if you're just walking around barefoot like that, then like we got problems, right? So this is at that season, in that time in their households, they'd be like, all right, so like if you walked in with your feet that stank, like they would be like, all right, so let's, we need somebody to wash the feet. So the lowest level servant, position in that community, the lowest, most lowly space you could be in is the one who washes feet when you come into a home. That was like the lowest of a low. There was no other low position than that. That was as low as you get. Because that's gross. Fair? Like, that's like wiping off people's feet. One, not, feet are nasty. Two, like, like that what's on their feet is nasty. Like, there's double nasty going on, and that was the lowest level position you could be in. Right, that, that's, that's what was taking place. All right, so it made me kind of come up with this, this reality, okay? So this is what's so cool. This is kind of like, kind of what hit me. Was that, um, d- did you know that Jesus is still washing feet? Okay, so, so it's not that he's like going around like washing like feet like it is today, but what I'm saying is he is still loving the people in the room by washing their feet and caring for them. Like, so us in this room, like Jesus wants to wash your feet. He wants to, he wants to lower himself to a loving space to go. There is no job. There's no mess you're in. The dirt that you've caused, I am here to wash and clean you off. He's still washing feet. But the main primary way he's washing feet now to showing love to one another is with us being the towel. We're the ones he uses to go and be the cleaners. He's using us, the ones, to go and lower ourselves to go and love on one another. He is using us to be the towels. And it made me think about another argument that me and my wife had, which was a fantastic one. It's one that I enjoy deeply. Um, And so in this room, this is class participation uh, moment here. Um, In my hand, uh, you're going to help me win or lose this argument, so I'm counting on you here. Uh, In my hand, uh, what do I have? What is this call? You can yell it out. What do you call it? Uh, Towel. Towel, Okay. I heard some junk there. Um, So so hand towels, whatever. Uh, Some were closer than others. This is a decorative artifact. (laughs) Now, you might not have known that, but you do now. All right, and it took me a long time. Like I got 16 years of being married. Like, it took me a minute, but I, I caught up. Like, so this is a decorative artifact. Now, listen, listen, listen. I know it's made of cotton. And it may even say it could be washed. But it, it may be able to absorb water, but not your water from your nasty hands. All right, just to be clear. Now, listen, I know it's confusing because it's sitting, it happens to be laid up and folded really nice, neat, to where there's a water source where people actually wash their hands. And it seems like, boy, there's something I could wipe my hands on. Wrong again, all right? Not its purpose, not its plan. It is to be observed and appreciated from a distance. You enjoy it, you look at it, but you don't put your nasty Grammy fingers on it, all right? So we're all clear? All right, so just, just so we're clear. See, see, I didn't, I didn't grow up that way, all right? So my mom and dad are in the room, which makes this even better. Um, but see, I grew up with, we had big towels, then we had medium sized towels, and then we had little towels. You picked which one you needed based on the amount of moisture you were trying to get up. That includes if you need to clean up the water that was coming out of your toilet that overflowed, if it need to wipe off and dry off your dog you just washed, or if you need to wipe off your kid. Now listen, Not one after the other there. That's kind of gross. But like we would wash it in between there, okay? But this is the way it went. And listen, I don't know if they had Bounty Quicker Picker Upper back then, but we didn't use it. We used towels. When there was something wet, you used a towel. You would wash your car and you would wash your kid with a towel. That's just the way it, we worked. That's just it. And also, we were kind of cool. We were ahead of the game. We even used the same towel so long, it became an exfoliator. I didn't know what exfoliation was until <laughs> I got older. But it would, like, it would somewhat dry you, but it would also rip your skin apart and leave it nice and open for the goodness of oxygen to enter in, like whatever that does. So like, so that's the way I grew up, right? So it was like, this is a, that's a towel. And so if you wet, got it. Like easy, simple, but now I've learned, right? So, like, this is it. <laughs> but, but, like I was talking about before, like, with Jesus looking for a towel to use, a lot of times I look at us and he's going, Which towel are we? Are we tight, neatly wrapped, clean, shiny, kind of sparkly? Like, we know our stuff, we look good. But can we be honest? Essentially, practically useless like you can't use this for anything right you can look at it but that's about it but this towel I throw it in the back of my truck I do any job whatever you need there is nothing beneath what you could use this towel for you could use this towel you just count on it like when you reach into it, you don't have to think about it. You just know if I'm grabbing that towel, that towel's gonna to work. It's not gonna complain, it's not, yeah, it's gotta stand up, beat up, yes. But it does what it was made to do. Is that the way Jesus would describe me and you? If he was to grab you up right now and say, hey, I got a I got a church that, that needs people to be loved on and served. All right, who am I grabbing? I've got, I got a neighbor that really needs to know the love of Jesus. I need somebody. I need somebody to love on him. Can I, can I use you? Like, I need, I need this church to be united and be a an ex- shining example to the culture and community around it that, that, that there is nothing and no one that's beneath them. Can I count on you? Are you a towel that Jesus would grab? It's a powerful reminder for me that just makes me go, um, which towel am I? Kind of continued. Jesus continued in this situation. He said in verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You understand what I just did when I went around and, and washed your feet? So you call me teacher and Lord. And what he's saying there is like, you, you're saying you want to learn from me? Like you want me to be your teacher? And you want me to be your Lord and King. You want to follow me. You want to surrender yourself to me and follow me with whatever I call you to do. You're saying yes to that. And you are right, for so I am. He continues. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Just as I have done to you. So, for me, I'm thinking about it this way. My favorite story in this, with, with Jesus going in this Last Supper moment, and he grabs the towel that he can actually use, and he grabs his basin jar, and he goes around. I'm just imagining Jesus going around to his disciples. They're all kind of circled up, and I imagine being efficient. He just He gets down on his knees, and he's washing foot after foot, and lovingly wiping him down clean, getting them nice, clean, white as snow, and he's just wiping them down, wiping them down. And I imagine him getting to these certain feet. And these feet, he goes, Man, I love these feet. Like I remember when I made these in his mother's womb. I loved him then. I, I remember when he took his first steps. Oh like, I remember how much I loved him as he took his first steps. Oh yeah, and I remember the first time he fell. And the first time those feet stumbled, I still loved them. I remember these feet as they walked with me for the last three years, as we journeyed together and, and we laughed together, and we ate together and I taught with them and, and he saw miracles. I remember those moments and man, I love those moments. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wash these feet very carefully and lovingly and intentionally, even though knowing that these feet are gonna walk out of here and betray me and go get like Roman guards, and who will beat me and murder me for these same feet that I love. These are Judas' feet. See, Judas was in the circle. And Jesus went foot after foot, washing them clean and lovingly wiping them white as snow, just as clean as he could, all the way around, including Judas's feet. The fact that you have Judas right here in front of you and you're willing to take it and wipe him down fully knowing that it wasn't going to change his mind. I'm going to take my time to wipe the dirtiest job possible. I'm gonna love you this much. I'm gonna love you and wipe you all the way down. I will go to the cross and die for you. I'm gonna clean up you. I'm gonna serve you and love you fully knowing that it's not gonna change one iota of what you're getting ready to do. You're gonna betray me. You're gonna kiss me on the cheek in the most evil way. And you are going to deny me and leave me. And I'm gonna love you anyways. I'm going to wipe you down. I wonder how many times for me and you, we decide whether or not we're going to serve and love based on whether or not we think it'll do any good. When Jesus called us, said, hey, you want to choose unity and not division? Love like I loved. Even if it's Jesus' feet humble. Nothing's beneath me. No one's beneath me. If I could give you one more challenge to think about, a question for you to ask yourself. You're wondering, practically speaking, how do I literally do this? One I would say is is serve. Get involved. If you're not serving and loving on people, if you're not getting your hands and knees dirty, cleaning up and caring for people, then maybe today's the day that you sign up and say, man, I want to start serving people. I want to start loving the way Jesus loved. And it can even start in this room. But maybe the question you need to ask before you post it, before you say it, before you act, maybe you need to ask yourself, am I proving my point or am I proving my love? Because when Jesus was washing Jesus' feet, he proved to me that even while I am still a sinner, that Jesus loved me and was willing to die for me. And he's calling us to love one another in unity and in care for one another. And maybe we just need to ask ourselves what I'm getting ready to do. Is it proving my point or is it proving my love? Let us be a church that chooses unity, not division. Let us have passions, but not let the passions overtake us to cause division. Let us humble ourselves like Jesus and wash one another's feet. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you, Lord, for your example that even though we did not deserve you to love us in our worst of times, in our worst of choices, that Jesus, you are willing to die for us fully knowing that for some of us in this room it wouldn't change our mind. But God, for those of us that did, it changed our minds as we experience and know the love that you had for us. Lord, we want to thank you right now for being willing to model for us what it looked like to love. Not to prove a point, but to prove your love. May we do likewise. May we love one another, not let these things of this world cause us to be divided. But may we be united in your word, in your truth, with who you are and what you're called us to be, to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love one another better than ourselves. We're gonna need your help, Lord. We live in a divided world, as you know, but through your spirit, I believe we can do it. We thank you, Jesus. It's your name we pray, amen.